This is the Best Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to Best Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, Managing Editor of Best Insurance Professional Resources. We're very pleased to have with us today Dr. Steve Wood and Sean Murphy from Courtroom Sciences, a national litigation consulting and litigation support firm based in Irving, Texas. Dr. Steve Wood is a litigation consultant at Courtroom Sciences. He uses his social psychological expertise to help clients understand the jury decision-making process and maximize the likelihood of favorable case outcomes. He also assists with a myriad of case-related activities, including pre-trial research, witness effectiveness training, case theme development, supplemental jury questionnaires, as well as jury selection. His work has been published in various peer-reviewed academic journals, as well as several, several scholarly magazines, and he also serves as co-host of the Litigation Psychology Podcast. Sean Murphy is a strategic communications counselor with extensive corporate reputation in litigation and crisis communications experience. He has worked with numerous leading organizations across a wide range of industries on public communications challenges presented by high-stakes, high-profile crises. Sean's crisis experience includes working with companies targeted by special interest groups and handling situations involving allegations of executive misconduct, product performance and liability issues, hostile work culture, regulatory violations, environmental contamination, data breach, and hostile M&A. His career includes 10 years at a global public relations firm where he was corporate practice leader. A social organizational psychology practitioner, he is expert at analyzing and influencing group out attitudes and behaviors. Steve and Sean, we're very pleased to have you both with us again today. Thanks, John, for having us. Happy to be here. Thank you, John. Glad to be with you. Thanks again very much. Today's discussion is how the corporate representative can influence litigation outcomes. Steve, we're going to start the questioning with you today. For context for our audience, can you talk about the corporate representative and the role they play in litigation and why they have so much impact? Sure. So corporate representative or 30B6 witness or PMK, person most knowledgeable, or PMQ, person most qualified, they have various names that they go by depending on jurisdictions. But really, regardless of the title, kind of their role is to speak on behalf of the company as it relates to specific designated topics that they receive from opposing counsel. So for example, if there were a case in which it was a case against a trucking company, plaintiff's counsel would submit various topics and designate topics that they want someone at that company to be able to speak on. And then that in, that company would then have to identify someone who could speak on those topics. So if it was training, hiring, supervision of truck drivers, the company would have to reach out and find someone or several individuals who could actually speak to that topic. And the reason why that they have so much impact is because that person essentially becomes kind of the face and the voice of the company. And what they say binds the company versus a fact witness. You know, a fact witness might say something in their individual capacity. But when a corporate representative says something, the corporate representative is essentially speaking on behalf of the company and, and speaking as if, you know, they're saying it on behalf of the company. So that makes them really kind of a prime target of opposing counsel because then it becomes opposing counsel's top priority really to make that corporate representative look non-credible. You know, they're going to want to attack them. They're going to want to do things in the deposition to make that person look, you know, like I said, 
that they're they're hiding the ball or that they're doing something nefarious because then what ends up happening is jurors use that perception of the corporate representative as kind of a lens with which to see the rest of the case. You know, if you think about it, it the jurors are really going to be asking themselves, okay, what kind of company, if that corporate representative does really, really bad or shows poorly in the deposition, jurors are going to say, well, what kind of company would put that person up? What kind of company would use that person as their spokesperson? So it, it, you know, pulls away from the credibility and it makes the company company look bad. So that's why they have a lot of impact. And like I said, uh, on, on the corporate representative's deposition and testimony could be the difference between, you know, a nuclear verdict, nuclear settlement, or settling the case for a more reasonable and appropriate amount. So then, Steve, what should be a company's priorities in selecting a corporate representative? You know, I, I look at several kind of key aspects of corporate representatives that I think makes someone an efficient, effective witness. You know, the first one is, is humility, right? The humility to say, I don't know. Now, within reason, obviously, as I said earlier, the, the company gets a list of topics that they have to designate someone to be able to speak on. So that corporate representative is going to have to be able to speak to those designated topics. However, sometimes you might get a question that is outside of the scope of those topics, and maybe that witness doesn't necessarily have the answer. And it takes a lot for that witness then to say, okay, well, I'm the person most knowledgeable on these certain topics. This is outside of my wheelhouse. Rather just rather than say, you know, I don't know, they want to speculate, they want to go out on a limb. And a lot of times the, the information they provide is inaccurate. So someone who has the ability to say, I don't know, and the humility to say they don't have the answers to everything. Second thing, patience. And I mean patience to wait for the question to end, patience to deal with the whole training process, you know, the type of person who is going to be able to wait for the questioner to finish and then be able to process the question, think about it before they actually respond versus the person who's very impatient and wants to get to the answer immediately and doesn't want to wait for the fluff and the filler. It's they got to have it and they got to have it now. Third one, emotional poise. And I think this is a really important one too. emotional poise as far as not getting frustrated, not getting upset, not becoming sarcastic, not being snarky with opposing counsel. You know, I think we talk about a lot of the mistakes that get made by witnesses being cognitive, behavioral and emotional. And I think one of the emotional mistakes that I've always seen, and that's one of the key factors, is when people get flustered, then they start wanting to explain or they start you know, just going on, going on and on and on, you know, if they get upset, they get real snarky and, and they fire back at opposing counsel and it just looks really, really bad. Another one, confidence. And the confidence, what I mean by that is really just the confidence to say, you know, I disagree or it depends or that is correct in the face of opposing counsel, basically being incredulous at the response. You know, they, you, you get opposing counsel, plaintiff counsel is going to say, you'd agree with me that, you know, safety is a company's top priority. And you need your corporate representative to say, I would agree that safety is one of the corporates, corporation's top priorities. Then you're going to get a response from that. What do you mean? Whoa, 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 whoa. What, what could be more important than safety? And you need to have that witness have confidence in their answer and that it's intellectually honest and accurate to be able to push back and say, yeah, it's one of them. We have several different ones and not feel the pressure to you know, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but and start pivoting. A couple more open mindedness. 
And I mean, open-mindedness, once again, to the process of the witness training, you know, several things need to be discussed during the training process. There's several factors that need to be considered. You know, there's several things that we go through in the training process that some people may think this is a waste of time. Some people think it may not be useful, but, you know, just being open to the process and and understanding that the things they're doing is going to make them a, a more effective witness. And then last is the ability to focus. And, and the reason why I talk about that is because a lot of times these corporate representatives tend to be people who are higher up in an organization and trying to get them blocked off for six to eight hours worth of training time can be very, very difficult. You know, trying to get them to stay off their phones, trying to get people from interrupting the meetings to try to talk to these individuals. You know, you need that person to be able to say, I'm going to set aside my phone. I'm going to block off this time and I'm going to devote it to the process and even on the day of the deposition, they, they're going to leave their phone behind and they're not going to be checking emails consistently at breaks so that they can focus on the process and on the question that's at hand. So those are really kind of the main priorities, I think, when, when looking for a corporate representative. Steve, what are some mistakes you've seen corporate representatives make during their testimony? So I think a couple of the most common ones, I mentioned it before about the humility to say, I don't know, but I think a lot of times I see corporate representatives speculate too much. They think they need to know, have the answer to everything. And like I said before, speculation ends up leading to bad testimony because more often than not, what you're 90% sure on, that 10% inaccuracy is where the danger lies. That 10% inaccuracy is where there's a document showing that you're incorrect. And if you remember, the goal of opposing counsel is to make you look not credible. You know, imagine what it would look like if you say that a document exists or a policy is a certain way only to find out that you're wrong. And now it's on videotape or it's on the record of you being outright wrong. And I think the second one goes back to that emotional poise that I talked about is that, you know, a lot of times corporate representatives, as I said, are in usually a position of power. They're usually in a position of being leaders. They're usually in a position of leading groups of individuals and kind of doling out orders and, and having people defer to them and look to them for their leadership. In a deposition, opposing counsel doesn't care about any of that, right? Opposing counsel is going to press you and poke you and try to make you feel stupid, call into question your competency. And a lot of those times it ends up being a new area, a new, uh, a new experience for the corporate rep. And then what ends up happening is they want to fire back because they've never been in that situation before. So they want to get angry. They want to get upset and say, look here, basically no one talks to me like that. And they, they lose their cool in the middle of the deposition. So those are the two big ones I see more often than not. Thanks, Steve. We're going to pivot over to Sean for the next few questions. Sean, how important is the corporate representative to influencing the public's view of the litigation and its impact on the company's reputation? Well, John, the company's reputation is dependent on the corporate representative, particularly in a high-profile trial. As Steve mentioned, when you choose a corporate representative, you're really deciding who will be the face of your company. And that's important because every stakeholder, whether it's customers, investors, or employees, will be judging the company's character and credibility based on the corporate representative's performance at the trial. So they'll be looking for things like, you know, does do they have command of the facts? Are they composed under pressure or do they get rattled under cross-examination? Do they seem credible or do they come across as evasive? Are they relatable 
or do they seem arrogant or out of touch? And it's not just the trial. Uh, the corporate representative can have a major influence on a company's reputation over the long term coming out of the trial. Sean, how can a company best leverage the corporate representative's testimony in communicating about the litigation? So, John, litigation communications is about getting your message across in the court of public opinion and controlling the narrative. Now, people often think about winning the trial, but don't always consider that the company's reputation is won or lost based on public opinion and not necessarily the trial itself. Now, think about it like this. If the corporate representative is capable and well-prepared, you can highlight their testimony through the media. If it's a major case, you can give reporters a heads up about the importance of the testimony so they can come, see it for themselves, and report on it. And if the testimony is compelling, you can be the one to grab the headline and have the company's messaging dominate that news cycle. However, if the corporate representative isn't well-prepared, then the reporters will, can seize on that and it could be a negative turning point in the narrative and how people think about the company. As you know, it's very difficult to turn around a negative image, particularly given the power of social media and how quickly stories like that travel. We see in high-profile litigation how one side often dominates the narrative and how quickly uh, an echo chamber can form. So depending on how high profile the litigation is and how many people are affected by it, a bad or shaky performance from the corporate representative can damage a company's reputation. You see it a lot in trials involving the public interest like environmental disasters, major accidents, or misconduct by a company or its leaders. Really, any situation where the company's character is also on trial. Steve, we'll pivot back to you for our final question today. What's the most important insight our listeners should take from this discussion about the corporate representative? You know, I think one of the key things is that careful thought really needs to go into the selection of a corporate representative. You know, a lot of times when I'm talking to people, they're, they, they'll say, you know, this individual is the most knowledgeable person in our company, therefore they're going to be the corporate representative. The problem is they don't have a lot of the other key skills and abilities that I talked about earlier. So in that situation, you're probably better off to say, okay, this person's not quite as knowledgeable as the other one, but they have all those key attributes. And I think that they would show as a better witness and we can then train them and get them up to speed on the topics that they need to talk about. So you need to think about that. You know, and the other thing too is to keep in mind is just because they've been a corporate rep before doesn't necessarily mean they need to be corporate reps in the future. And the reason why I said that, there's been multiple times where I've, I've worked with, with individuals and companies where they were the corporate rep before, but the, the thought being is maybe they aren't the best corporate rep for us, but that we've used them in the past, so we're just going to continue to use them. Well, just because you've used them in the past doesn't necessarily mean you need to continue to use them in the future. And the other reason why that becomes important is that plaintiff counsel as we always talk about, is, is very good at sharing. And they're very good at sharing depositions of corporate representatives. So if you have a corporate representative who's been deposed six, seven times, and maybe they weren't the best corporate representative, you can imagine that, that those depositions are being passed around uh, to other individuals. So 
like I said, just because they've been it before doesn't necessarily mean they need to continue to be it if, if you don't think that they have the skill set after listening to this, that they have the skill set that, that's needed. And I think it also is important to understand is the, the, the witnesses who have testified multiple times to the corporate representative who's testified six or seven times, maybe has some of the good attributes, you know, and a lot of times you think, well, this person doesn't need additional training because they've done it so many times. I've seen plenty of witnesses who get very complacent when they've done things six or seven times and they end up getting too comfortable with the process. And before you know it, they're answering too quick. They're giving long-winded explanations because they don't feel the pressure. They're, they're almost too comfortable. And I can tell you that I just recently had a situation where I had a corporate representative who had testified no less than 10 times and I reptiled him in five questions. And it was because he got to a point where he got too comfortable and I fired off questions. And before you know it, I said, all those answers were wrong. And he looked at me just shocked that all the questions were wrong, but it's because he wasn't listening because it got to the point where he thought he knew more than he really did. He got too comfortable with the process. So I think those are all the things that need to be taken in consideration. I think those are really the take home messages, you know, careful consideration, extensive training, and, and making sure that, you know, you take the process seriously. Steve and Sean, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. We appreciate being here. You've just listened to Dr. Steve Wood and Sean Murphy from Qualified Member Expert Service Provider Courtroom Sciences. And special thanks to today's producer, Frank Bowinkle. And thank you all for joining us for Best Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, go to our webpage, www.ams.com slash professional resources. If you have any suggestions for a future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast.ambest.com. I'm John Zuba, and now this message. Best Insurance Professional Resources features valuable insurance industry content, including searchable profiles of client-recommended insurance attorneys, adjusters, and expert service providers. Brought to you by AM Best, known worldwide as a respected source of insurance industry news and information. Visit ambest.com slash claims resource.